Am I coming through? Okay. Almost feel bad taking my mask off when you have to leave yours on, but uh, that's the way it is. Today we're uh, going to look at one of the chapters that just precedes by a few months the, the time when Jesus went to the cross. And on his path to the cross during his final year on earth, Jesus attended the major Jewish festivals, as was his custom. John's Gospel records his experience at some of these festivals. And uh, in his Gospel, John focuses on Jesus as the Word, the Messiah, and the Son of God, who brings salvation to a lost world, a world that either accepts or rejects the offer. There are seven emphatic I am statements that identify Jesus as God and Messiah, and he made these statements himself. And the one we want to really focus on today is the one where he says in John 8, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And John records seven miraculous signs or proofs, proofs, of Jesus' identity prior to his death. And then there was the resurrection, one of the greatest miracles, or signs. And then there was another miracle when Jesus met with the disciples on the shore and filled their nets with fish. The account here that we're looking at in John chapter 9 occurs when Jesus was in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a, a few months before his crucifixion. At the end of chapter 10 and prior to chapter 9, he faces opposition from scribes and Pharisees and unbelieving Jews who attempted to stone him, but he slipped away and came to a blind man sitting at the gate of the temple. And as we consider the account of the healing of a blind man, we can be reminded of our condition before salvation, of how Christ saves a sinner, and of how to respond to opposition to the truth. <clears throat> We're talking about a blind man he was blind from birth, and Jesus enabled him to see. And for those who belong to the pastor's club, I, maybe you could think of answering, finishing this statement. If I was blind and was able all of a sudden to see, the first thing I would like to see is, what would be the first thing you'd like to see if you could never have seen before? Have you ever imagined life of being blind? <laughs> back in our, one of our churches that we attended back in Ontario, we had three blind people that would come to church with their dogs and uh, they would sit at the end of the road, the dogs would 
recline in the uh, aisle, and the ushers had to be a little careful they didn't step on a paw or a tail while they were taking offering or ushering people to their seats. George Shearing, who was a a British-American jazz pianist who died back in 2011, he was born blind. And once he stood, this was before the chirpers came before that they have at uh, main intersections with the lights. Once he stood on New York City street corner during rush hour with his dark glasses and white cane, he could probably count on someone to eventually assist him across the street. So while waiting, one day he felt a tap on his shoulder. Excuse me, sir, said a voice, but I'm blind. Could you help me across the street? Shearing said, certainly I'll help you. He reached out, found the arm of the other blind man, and strained his ears to decipher the sound of the traffic. After a few minutes, he said, it's safe to cross, let's go. So together, the two blind men set off across the intersection. As they walked, Shearing heard a great deal of horn honking and yelling, but he was never sure if it was directed at him or not. Moments later, the two men were safely on the other side of the street. The other blind man thanked Shearing for his help and went on his way tapping his white cane. Shearing later recounted the incident to an astonished friend who asked George, why on earth did you do such a dangerous thing? Shearing smiled, oh, I couldn't resist the irony of it, the blind leading the blind and all that, you know. And that was the biggest thrill of my life. (laughs) When the Apostle Paul said we should live by faith, not by sight, I don't think that's what he had in mind. Faith, however, can result in sight. As the blind man in John 9 is about to discover, there's an old axiom which says seeing is believing. But in this passage, Jesus will disprove that axiom. He will demonstrate to the blind man, to the Jewish leaders, and to you and to me that believing is seeing. You ever imagined again, in your own mind, being blind? You could feel the sun's warmth, but not enjoy the beauty of sunrise or sunset. You could inhale the aroma of gardens, flowers, crops, but not colors they display. The seeds of golden wheat swaying in the wind or of the bright yellow canola blossoms or of luscious green lines lawns. You could hear the crashing or gentle rippling of waves, even taste the sea salt at the ocean side, but not see the sight of waves meeting the shoreline. You could hear the sounds of animals or insects, feel their bites too, or people's voices and laughter, but not see the amazing variety they present in viewing them. These rich experiences would be lost or diminished when unseen. But those born without sight don't know what they're missing. Their perspective is limited 
to what they can experience. And without the testimony of friends or family or other loved ones, people blind would never suspect they are missing much. John provides little about the time and exact place Jesus and his disciples encountered this blind man, except that it was on the Sabbath. How many times did Jesus get in trouble for doing good to people on the Sabbath? It would have been somewhere outside the temple complex, because being blind, he couldn't go in. But it would be on a route well-traveled toward the temple where the blind man and other beggars could beg for alms. You see, people with disabilities that prevented them from earning income to contribute to their costs of living were expected by their families to contribute to their needs by begging. As Jesus and friends passed by, they came across this man. Not by accident, as the text may seem to imply, but by divine appointment. We're not told why this particular man, among others, was chosen, except that he was blind from birth. However, he alone drew the disciples' attention. And as we read here from John chapter 9, listen to how the disciples responded. Beginning at verse 1. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. The disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. the disciples' attention, and they asked Jesus a question when this man drew their attention, a question that reflected the common understanding of sin then. They saw his affliction as the just penalty for a sin, either his or his parents, as did the Pharisees and Sadducees. The philosophy was this, when we consider a good as good, what we consider, I'm sorry, as good earns blessing, but affliction reflects wrongdoing. <laughs> Remember Job's friends. In their defense, the disciples merely understood the world as it taught them. Sadly, though, they only saw this man as an interesting theological case study and showed no compassion. Besides, it's uh, human nature to find someone else to blame. Well, Jesus answered directly that this man's affliction was not the direct result of his sin or his parents. Although Jesus didn't deny the general connection between sin and suffering, 
He declared that God's sovereignty and purposes were at work, and he was the one God sent to do the work as long as he was on earth. Chuck Swindoll wrote this, The blind man lay at the intersection of the world's affliction and God's preordained choice to turn his blindness into an occasion for rejoicing. Note the parallel of blindness from birth with the characteristics of a lost sinner. Blindness, a lost sinner is blind to his spiritual need. Jesus said, except one be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Then there's the begging. In one's spiritual poverty, there comes a time when we beg for our deep heart needs to be met. Many beg to the wrong people in the wrong places. Jesus said, if you search for me and seek, for, seek me with all your heart, I will be found of you. And then there's the helplessness. This man couldn't help himself, and others couldn't cure him. There was no remedy for the blind man until Jesus came along. The same Jesus who had said to Philip, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. And when Jesus came, that kind of reminds you of the song, then Jesus came that the late Oswald J. Smith, founder of People's Church in Toronto, wrote. And Jesus declared to the disciples that he was the light of the world, the only one who can cure spiritual darkness. Now, your eye doctor would likely be horrified at Jesus' method of procuring a cure. Here's what he did. Having said this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. And go, he told him, and wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. Yeah, Jesus mixed his saliva with the substance of that man's creation. He smeared the clay over the man's eyes and sent him to wash in the pool of Siloam. And that was a route from the temple area down into the deep Kidron ravine, which was a rugged walk even for a sighted person with many obstacles. When the man did exactly as Jesus said, that's important, he came back seeing. By this act, Jesus demonstrated his authority over disabilities, over sin, over bad theology, over man-made religion, over the temple, over the Sabbath, and the religious authorities who opposed him. Well, that was the cure. But then along came some controversy with the cure. Somebody being cured always doesn't clear up everything in some people's minds. 
On this man's path to spiritual transformation, the opening of his eyes physically was the first step. And every step along the way seemed to strengthen his moment of coming to faith, even though it was full of obstacles. After he'd been cured, he came back first and saw his neighbors and those who would have known him as a beggar. Can't you hear them saying, is, is it that who I think it is? Now some said yes and some no. But the man kept saying, yeah, I'm the man. So they asked, how can you see? He explained. Then they asked where Jesus was. You know what? No one said, wow. <laughs> Isn't it wonderful that you can now see? Now he hadn't seen Jesus, but only heard him, and Jesus had slipped away from where his would-be stoners were. And then there was the Pharisees that are he was brought to. The neighbors and friends brought him to them, probably because they feared them, because they were skeptical of Jesus, despite the living proof of his power standing in front of them. You see, seeing doesn't always lead to believing. So they asked how he could see second time. He told them. They declared one who doesn't keep the Sabbath as they dictated couldn't be from God. Now, what did that have to do with anything? <laughs> they thought it did. Others asked how a sinner could do such a miracle. They sure didn't know Jesus. They asked the healed man what he thought of Jesus. That was a question that needed a very careful answer. Well, he said Jesus was a prophet. But in spite of the clear evidence, Pharisees refused to believe they'd been, he'd been blind and received his sight, so they called for his parents. Well, we see the interaction with the parents. Verse 18. The Jews still did not believe that he'd been blind and received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say? Don't you like that? That you say has been blind and had received his sight until how is it that now he can see? They answered, we know he's our sin, our son, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. After all, they hadn't been there. <laughs> how could they ask, answer all these questions? And then for fear of excommunication from the synagogue for confessing to have any support for Jesus as the Christ, they told them to ask the man himself because he was of age. Now, you think there might have been some excitement from parents, but fear was the overriding factor for them. Many people reject coming to faith in Christ for fear of what family and friends will think. Now we come to another interaction with the Pharisees, verse 24 to 34. 
So the Pharisees called the man again and told him to give God glory, something he was already doing, but they weren't. Then they revealed their spiritual ignorance and darkness by saying about the Son of God, we know that this man is a sinner. Well, obviously they didn't know him. They were blind to their own sinfulness, but they were quick to identify another as a sinner. Don't you love the man's feisty reply in verse 25? Whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. Simply the facts. The Pharisees weren't getting through to him, or was it that they were the ones the truth wasn't getting through to. Then again, he was asked how he'd been healed. Now, he could have compromised and agreed with them for fear of excommunication, just like his parents. There's an interesting Russian parable that talks about compromise. It goes this way. A hunter raised his rifle and took careful aim at a large bear. When he was about to pull the trigger, the bear spoke in a soft, soothing voice. Isn't it better to talk than to shoot? What do you want? Let's negotiate the matter. Lowering his rifle, the hunter replied, I want a fur coat. Good, said the bear. That's a negotiable question. I want a full stomach, so let's negotiate a compromise. Well, they sat down to, comp to negotiate, and after a time, the bear walked away alone. The negotiations had been successful. The bear had a full stomach, and the hunter had a fur coat. Compromises, you see rarely satisfy both sides equally. This man didn't compromise. He kept telling the truth. You see, these Pharisees and Sadducees were struggling to justify their case against Jesus. But this man wouldn't agree that Jesus was a sinner, something they had already concluded despite this and previous evidence they had heard. And as we've said, the man kept simply stating the facts. The second demand for how it had happened was an attempt to uncover some inconsistency. But he was seeing through their hypocrisy and likely with sarcasm asked if they wanted to become his disciples. They were angered and said he was a disciple of a sinner who had healed him. Well, he wasn't yet. But they were the disciples of Moses. <laughs> you know, they weren't disciples of God. They were disciples of Moses. And then he gave them a talking to. Why, this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. 
We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Isn't it amazing how God uses the strangest events in a person's life to draw them to himself? Maybe you can identify with that. This man started out as neutral concerning Jesus, whether or not he was a sinner. He only knew what his experience told him once he was blind, now he could see. But the pushing of the Pharisees to build their false case against Jesus had brought him closer to genuine faith. The Pharisees couldn't break through the honesty of the man, so they set aside the facts and played their trump card. They resorted to their superior position of power, at least supposed. And that was really an omission of defeat, although they didn't realize it. So they issued a personal attack and excommunicated him. The very thing the parents feared. Well, that brings us to the verses 35 to 41, where Jesus invokes a confession. There's the cure, the controversy, now the confession. Chapter 10 reveals Jesus as the good shepherd who always cares for his sheep. Here's a picture of that truth. Jesus knew the man had been cast out by the Pharisees, so he found him. The man had never seen Jesus, only heard his voice. But now that he could see physically, he could now see the one who had sought him and he had come to see spiritually. He could now come to the climax of his knowledge of Jesus Christ and his faith in him to become a reality. You see, it's not enough to believe he is a man named Jesus or even a prophet or a man of God. 1 John 5, 1 John wrote, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And Jesus then brought to a culmination the new birth of this man. He asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man's answer was a sign of a sincere seeker. Who is he? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus then identified himself as the Son of God, and the man declared, Lord, I believed and worshipped him. A true confession of faith. Notice the process Jesus followed to save this sinner. He came to this individual in grace. The man had done nothing to deserve Jesus' attention. He put an irritant in his eyes to encourage the man to believe and obey. If you've ever had something irritating in your eye, you know how quickly you seek to irrigate it and cleanse it. You might compare the irritation to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit as he uses God's word to bring one under conviction of their sin. And then his power cured him. Four times people asked how he was healed. But that was really the wrong question it's not the how that was important, but the who. 
that would lead them to the truth. Often people want to understand the how of miracles rather than simply trusting the only one who has power to do them. And then he glorified God. He did the work God had sent him to do and revealed the power of God. Finally, Jesus got the attention of others besides this man. You see, he came to seek and to save the lost. Sadly, very few sought him and found faith as the blind man did, even though Jesus gave them opportunity. At the closing, Jesus makes it clear that the one who's ones who were truly blind because they thought they could see were the religious leaders. The one who could now see spiritually recognized his need. People with spiritual sight recognize their own sinfulness and their desperate need for a savior. So I guess the question is, how about you? This, this account reminds of the old saying, there are none so blind as those who will not see. And Jesus begins, or John begins his gospel warning of that. He came to his own, and his own received him not. Some people insulate themselves from the truth and try to intimidate others to follow their path. This man's response offers us a good example to follow when we face such intimidation. First of all, he appealed to undeniable facts. Second, he answered directly, yet briefly. He didn't try to minimize, to sidestep, even to convert the enemies of the truth. Those things don't usually work. He simply but graciously stuck to the truth, as we should. He refused to argue and denied the, uh, the opposing parties the opportunity to turn their tack into a personal vendetta. Paul gives, gives us that advice in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. And he was not dissuaded by their threats, but remained fearless and resolved resolving to hold tightly to the truth deprives the opposition to that truth the power to intimidate us. The end result, the religious elite made themselves look foolish when their tactics failed. So they fell back on their flimsy credentials and abused their power. Now the man suffered some negative consequences, but gained far more than he lost. You see, he received new life in Jesus Christ. 
as we close. Let me read this benediction based on Philippians 3, 8, and then the words of a little chorus that we used to sing when we were going through revival back a number of years ago. The benediction, may the Lord grant you to see where you are lacking, that you might have everything. May he grant you a vision of your poverty, that you might be rich beyond measure. May he show you that you are destitute so that you may be filled with the fullness of his supply. And the little chorus goes this way. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it. Open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. To reach out and touch him and say that I love him. Open my ears, Lord, and teach me to listen. Open my heart, Lord. I want to know Jesus. This blind man came to know Jesus. Do you know him? God bless.